0: excited to be back with you all. Thanks for letting me get away a little bit this summer. Can we thank Pastor Luke, who's at this service, for doing a great job last weekend as we continued our teaching series called No Regrets? I'm going to tell you today, I really believe this could be life-altering for many people within our church, for those who might be tuning in live online as well and attending that way. I believe this could be one of the more important uh, weekends in the history of our church. I believe if it's not, next weekend definitely will be. And I just want to encourage you that these two weekends, this weekend and next weekend, uh, we're sharing some huge news for the future of our church. And we need your prayer. And we need your participation. And so I'm going to challenge you as we finish off this No Regrets teaching series. We say every week we want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That no one's too far from God to experience a life change through Jesus. The church is called Mercy Road Church. After Acts chapter 9, Saul was overseeing the killing of Christians, religious terrorists. Nobody farther from God than Saul. One authentic encounter with Jesus. So dramatically changes his life. He goes from ripping Christians out of homes to imprison them for their faith to becoming one of the most devout followers of Jesus the world has ever seen starting churches throughout the Roman Empire and writing a a number of letters that make up a lot of the New Testament. And we're going to read from one of my favorite letters that he wrote, and possibly the last letter that we have in the New Testament that he wrote, the book of Philippians. It was a letter to the church in Philippi. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And if you're new to the book of Philippians, this book, This entire uh, four chapters is a letter to the church that got started because of a dream God gave Paul. And he went to Macedonia, to to Philippi, and he presented the good news of Jesus to this one woman named Lydia who was a wealthy woman. She made purple dye from mollusks. Try and say that again. Mollusks. How do you say that word? That's a really hard word, isn't it? Snails in the ocean that produce purple ink that they actually uh, would make purple die with. And only wealthy people could afford to purchase it, or royal people. That's why purple was uh, the color of royalty. And she actually became a follower of Jesus that started a church in her home. And that church, this little group in Philippi, will go on to support Paul to send them all over the world. And later in his life, he'll end up, after his first couple of missionary journeys, back in Jerusalem where the Jewish community will get frustrated by him preaching the good news of Jesus and he will be put into jail. And he'll appeal to Caesar and he'll end up on a ship going to Rome that will have a shipwreck and he'll almost die and people get bit by a snake, it's crazy. He eventually ends up in Rome where he'll be imprisoned and eventually on house arrest. we believe that he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi while he was there. Potentially in a cell standing in his own refuse. Because it's not like the prison system we have today. And he writes to them with pure joy. And I always am amazed by that because he says in chapter one, I write to you with pure joy because of our partnership in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I just always think like, what joy you got standing in your own stuff, right? (laughs) Like, who's like, I write to you with pure joy of the predicament I find myself in. I wouldn't do that. And yet Paul He's so enamored with the mission that God has called him to, he'll do anything for it. And that's what uh, chapter 3 and the letter to the Philippians is all about. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Come on now. Our theme passage for this three-week teaching series that is ending today is from Psalm 39, 4 and 5. The psalmist, we believe David, writes, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. If you've made my days a mere hand the span of my years, is is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. That like our breath, life is here one day and gone the next. And we don't get to determine the number of our days. And some people are lucky to live 90, 110 years old. And other people aren't. We only get so much time on this planet and what we do with it matters And so the first weekend, we talked about what it would really look like to live your life in a way that when all was said and done, you would care about it for the next thousand years plus. That you'd live with no regrets. And last weekend, Pastor Luke did a great job talking about not storing up your treasure in heaven to have an eternal perspective of life. This weekend, as we close it out, I want to talk about leaving a godly legacy. Leaving a godly legacy. The truth is, you and I are all going to leave a legacy with our life. It's what kind of legacy that we're going to leave that we're going to discuss. And we all know this. I, we could just talk about one relationship that everyone has. Or maybe you don't. And that's a relationship with your father, your dad. For some of you, if I mentioned your relationship with your dad and the type of legacy that he left in your life, some of you, you would be like, man, I, my dad, he just loved me, and he was always, like, telling me that, and he was always there to support me. He corrected me when I was wrong. He raised me up in the ways of God. Even though he wasn't perfect, he, man, he was the most amazing dad or is the most amazing dad in the world, right? Hey, some of you got dads like that. But others of you, when I mention the relationship with your father, you kind of you cringe a little bit on the inside. Because you didn't have that type of relationship. And actually, it was more damaging. He didn't leave a godly legacy. He left a legacy of hurt and pain and abandonment. We all leave a legacy. That's just one relationship, one example of that. I don't know about you. Like my son, Jed, he is the sweetest, cutest thing in the world. When he's three years old, when I come home, he's still in that stage where he's like, Dad, Dad's home. And when I leave, he gets mad. He always says, are you going to the church I'm like, yes, I'm going. Then he gets sad. He did it this morning. And and, and he gets out of that eventually. But literally when I come home, he'll run to me. I love you, Dad. And then I'll ask him questions like, Jet, Jet," you know, like, what do you think of your dad? He'll go like, Dad, you're my best friend. And I'll be like, yeah, okay, that's great. I also want to be your parent. But, you know, he'll always remind me of that. And it just feels so amazing until I realize that he only tells me that when he wants like a popsicle, ice cream, or candy. Every other time, it's mom's my best friend. But he knows I'll cave if, if, <laughs> if he tells me that, I'll give him a popsicle. So I, I, I want to encourage you, like in my kids, with the way I want to live in, uh, in their life, I want to be the type of father that they know loves them. they leave a godly legacy that raises them up in the things of the Lord. But the reality is that takes work. It takes sacrifice, and for every one of us here this weekend or attending online, it's going to require sacrifice like we read in Philippians chapter 3 to leave a legacy that's God-sized. Here we go, Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 7, Paul, in one of his last letters, writes to the church in Philippi. By the time he gets to chapter 3, verse 7, he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Let's break that down. I didn't say this at the other services. In other words, like whatever gains to me, like the next bigger house and the nicer car and the best job promotion and the next uh, accomplishment uh, that the kids could have, where everybody you know gets a bigger trophy and everybody celebrates them. Nothing wrong, nothing sinful about any of those things. But all of these gains, he says, I consider lost if it doesn't mean it's for the sake of Christ. Verse eight: What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Pastor Luke mentioned this last weekend. Um, we're kind of starting where he left off. And at the end of uh, verse 8, I've taught on this a number of times, so I'm going to do this quickly. He says, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. He says, all the things in this life, that we're told to live for on our televisions and in advertisement online or on social media or uh, marketing in magazines or other places. He says, I consider all those temptations, all those things a loss. Garbage compared to Christ. The word garbage there, I'm going to do this quickly, It, it literally means refuse or dung. That it was where they would burn that outside of the city. And the common vernacular today that often we might use to describe this, the, I didn't do this. Paul, and I'm not going to say the word out loud, but Paul, the word he uses in Greek is scubulon. And scubulon was an offensive word. It was the type of word that you'd be like, whoa, did he just say that? To, to put it bluntly, without saying anything, because we're all tracking what I'm talking about, right? A, a phrase might be that scubulon happens, okay? We all track, I didn't say it, Paul said it, but like, you you tracking what I'm saying? Like, what he is saying here is offensive. He says, everything in this life I consider offensive garbage compared to gains for Christ. That I might gain Christ fully, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. He has to know the power of his resurrection. And then get this. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I don't know about you, but we love the first part of that verse that we share in the power of his resurrection. Amen? We're going to get to go to heaven when we die. We did a whole teaching series on heaven this spring. We're going to have a big party in the sky. We'll celebrate good times in heaven. It's going to be like that, man. It's going to be amazing. We've got a lot to look forward to. But, there's a second half to that verse in Philippians 3. He says, but I want to share in Christ's sufferings, to sh- be like him in his death. What? Do you remember how he died? If you're new to the Bible, I'm assuming assume you know this, but he was crucified, meaning he was nailed to a cross where he didn't bleed to death. He suffocated to death in front of his friends and family. And that's how Jesus gave up his life. And, and Paul says, I want to share in his sufferings. Who wants to share in Christ's sufferings? You know, I know what it's like to suffer. Uh, when we started this church, many of you know that we lost our son. He was two weeks old. He had a genetic disorder. His name was Jackson, and he passed away, and it was devastating. And for years, I would pray this prayer. God, advance your kingdom. Use us. Use us as a family. But can you do it without us suffering anymore? No one likes to suffer. It's not fun. And yet, only when Christians are willing to sacrifice anything in this life for the cause of Christ, do you really see the wake of impact that we read about in the New Testament. And when if you look at Mercy Road Church and our short little existence of over six and a half years, we started in a house and then we met at uh, Clay Middle School in the city of Carmel. If you're watching online for different parts of the world, just about five, ten minutes down the road, We leased this little building. And all these steps, it took a great sacrifice for people. We used to, every weekend, just a few people, some of them weren't even Christians yet, we would set up and tear down at the local school every weekend. And one service would take us four hours to pull off. I mean, think about that. We could pull three services off in that amount of time. Anybody in this service right now, there in the school days, you remember that? Okay, wow, yeah. You remember those days. There was a lot. You couldn't be a part of Mercy Road Church and not be willing to sacrifice. That's just how it was. The truth is we're all worshiping here this weekend because when we were in this little uh, small lease facility that was smaller than many people's homes this weekend, and we were doing five services there every weekend, people were sacrificing like crazy. And we, as a three-year-old church, purchased this property that we are in, and people sacrificed well beyond what any expert told us we could do. Financially, but also when we came in here, they told us this would cost a million dollars to renovate this building. We did it for half of that. Because hundreds of you, for months, served the Lord every week, hours of your time. Like, your life was devoted to this, to painting and drywalling and doing all of the stuff that got this facility finished. Because we're scrappy. That's how we do it. And that's how we are. And the vision I'm going to share with you today has that type of scrappiness. And it really comes from passages like this in Philippians chapter 3, where he says, I considered all scubulon, all garbage, except for what's gains for Christ. I'm going to go to verse 10 now. I want you to, excuse me, verse 11. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or already have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is ahead and straining toward, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That his whole life, as he's writing from a prison cell in Rome, potentially standing in his own refuge and eventually end up on house arrest. He writes to the church in Philippi to encourage them, to thank them for what they're doing and to say, guys, I'll give anything. I can be in a prison cell and still have joy in my heart because no one can take away what Christ has done in me. And so I live for heaven and I do with what I've been entrusted with on this planet to serve God in the short time that I've got. That's at the heart of what it takes to leave a godly legacy. The question I want to ask you, what are you willing to sacrifice to leave a God-sized legacy with your life? Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We surrender this time to you. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit. And now as we use Philippians 3 as a launching pad to talk about leaving a godly legacy, man, God, I know I'm going to get excited about this stuff. I pray it's life-changing for many of us. Use us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. To really cut to the chase here, I want to share with you that if you want to leave a godly legacy, it's going to take some sacrifice and hard work, right? Like being a dad to my son that I love, who I want him to leave a godly legacy with him, it's more about cleaning up dirty diapers and some messes he's made, as I've shared before here. It's more about taking care of my uh, my other two children, like my son, who just uh, got hurt on Thursday night. My only day off was Friday. He got hurt Thursday night at basketball practice. I spent all Friday in urgent care and, and going to the ortho-indie, and, and Jake hurt his, strained his calf, and he might have a tear. He goes in for an MRI on Monday. He's nine years old, right? I had to reschedule my whole Friday, and I didn't get to do any of the things I planned, including to get my hair cut, and I'm just going to be honest. It really needed cut, you know, so... Some of you are looking like, dude, yeah, you're good for a few weeks. No, no, I even even when my family's true story I didn't share this in the last service, when we were trying to save a bunch of money for about a year and a half to give funds away when we moved to this building, uh, my wife cut my hair for free for a year and a half, and it still got cut every two weeks, baby. Because I just, you know, you said fresh lettuce every once in a while, and had to get that stuff chopped up, but. I, you know, in these little first world problems, it was like, oh, I didn't plan all this on Friday and I lost my kind of my day off. Like, God, what are you doing? Why? I don't sit there and think about that though, because you know what? My son is hurting. Like he's wincing in pain. He had to get crutches and a boot and he's nine years old. Who gives a rip about my haircut, Right? I wonder what that would have looked like to apply that to those in our lives that we loved, who are hurting and broken and lost and far from God and could be the spiritual children that God is leading you to minister to. That you would reorient your whole life to leave a God-sized legacy to minister to them. That God's first, others are second, and I'm third. Part of following Jesus in Philippians chapter three is a denial of yourself, other places, Paul writes in one of his first letters in the, in, to the church in Galatia, he is right, for I have died and no longer live, but the life I live is through faith in the Son of God. In the book of Romans, he talks about his old self that has died and gone, and the new self that is made new as a new creation in Christ, Second Corinthians 5.17. So Paul's life is one in which his life totally radically changed. And for too many of us in American Christianity, we know a lot about God. We know the story of the Bible, but our life hasn't radically changed. We don't live as if we could die in the next few months or as if Jesus is going to return. And I'm not pointing any fingers. This isn't a condemnation weekend. We believe in the grace of Jesus, and I believe it is welcoming you home. But I also believe when you discover that relationship with him, it comes with this desire to live for him in a way perhaps many of us don't. And so I want to share with you what leaving a godly legacy looks like. And we're not going to go verse by verse back through Philippians 3, but I'm going to use it as the launching pad for a, a greater study of this issue. And I thought about if I only had months to live, what, my, what would my life look differently like? And I guarantee, number one, I would talk differently. I would say the words God wants me to say to people. Some of you, if you're going to live with no regrets... There are people in your life right now, you need to go talk to them and reconcile. Because you don't know how many days you get. And you would need to heal some relationships. Some of you, you would need to go to your family and to your friends and tell them how you really feel. I don't know about you, but most of us struggle with vulnerability. Vulnerability. By the way, I think this applies to both men and women, but I've given the example of the father. You know, most psychologists will tell you that the the role of the father, that for many people, if you ask them, is your dad proud of you? Many of them either A, would have no idea, or B, would say no. Because dad, sometimes we struggle to say those words, don't we? I love you. I'm proud of you. And man, if we only had months to live, I know about you, i begin to say what and would need to be said in my life. And I want to live that way. And I want to tell my kids, I'm not going to be afraid of that word love, man. I'm going to tell them how much I love them. I'm not going to be afraid to express and be vulnerable about how I feel about the people in my life. And I'm not naturally wired that way. I believe that we should live that way if we want to leave a godly legacy. And I'll tell you a great example of this is a dad that just, in our church family, that passed away this week. Uh, Mike Kleinbub. Many of you may have known Mike. Got a picture of him and his wife, Kitty. Uh, They've been faithful part of our church for the last uh, several years. In fact, they started coming when we were at the school and they continued to serve at the old facility, and they've been here faithfully every weekend. They live up in Elwood, uh, Indiana, which if you're not from around here or attending online, is about 45 minutes at least from this location, and they drive down here every single weekend. His son Chris and uh, Stephanie, his wife, have been really involved since day one of our church, and it's just been amazing how God has used them. And in their early 70s, Mike was somebody who, rather than turning inward in that stage of life, he used his retirement to turn outward to minister to the next generation. And he would travel with the Mercy Fest outpost, taking them in his RV around the state, putting on outreach events to share the good news of Jesus. And he knew the words to say to his kids. I just talked to his two sons right after the last service, and they knew how he felt about them, how he loved them, now, uh, the, later in life he just got on fire for the Lord and he began to share Christ and that became the center thing for their family. And there is no doubt that he left a godly legacy with his life and said what needed to be said. I would get done with services and I would go back and, and speak with Mike and he would always just encourage me and share like, uh, here's what God was speaking to me and I can't wait to share this with so-and-so and I just believe God is going to use this church and all, all for years he has done that. If you want to leave a godly legacy, you got to say what needs to be said. Don't be afraid of it. Number two, if you're taking notes, you got to do what God sent us to do. Too many of us talk about it and don't do anything with it. That if we didn't know we had much time to live and we were going to live with no regrets in our life, we're going to light a fire in us as we were talking about, set us ablaze, Lord. Bring those coals, to the embers into flame. If we're going to do that in our life, we got to actually do what God sent us to do. In fact, uh, Acts twenty twenty four says this, however, consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace or the good news of God's grace. It's talking about Paul there as he, uh, Luke writes that he says there, I, I just want to finish the task that God has set before me. What unfinished assignment has God given you? Maybe it's to to actually begin to get involved in a local church. Fill out a Connect card, turn it in at the Connect Center, or sign up for Rooted at the Connect Center. Take that next step of faith. Go to the first step class. Begin to actually commit to a local church. Invest. Get to know people. Grow in your faith. Maybe for some of you, you need to go and you need to write that book he's been calling you to do or write that song he's been asking you to do or go minister to that people group that is unreached or to do like Teresa Lee in our church who got on fire for Jesus. We baptize her at the old building and she goes downtown for food for souls and ministers to the homeless people. I don't know what your assignment is from the Lord, but I know that we're all called to help those in need to share our faith. And you may not know your specific calling, but you can know that general calling and you can start living that out today to live in a way that you have no regrets, to finish the task. Paul says, I'm going to do anything until this task is completed. I don't care if I'm in a prison cell. I'm not dead yet. I'm still writing letters with pure joy because God's not done with me. You may be here and be 90, 100 years old, and God's not done with you. You may be here and you may be coming out of a bad relationship or a divorce, and God's not done with you. You may be coming here and hurting and broken and you lost a friend or a family member. God's not done with you. And you know what else? He may be telling you, you need to change some things in your life. If you're going to do like Paul to reorient, it's all garbage except for what's gains for Christ. And you're going to begin to go, if I'm going to live for you, God, I need to change some things in your life. I'm going to do what God sent me to do. Third and final point I wanted to make with you is then to live how God wants us to live. And some of you, that would mean you're going to change your dating habits, man. And no guilt or shame this morning. We're not like that kind of church. We're not to turn or burn, right? We believe in the gay, grace and uh, salvation of Jesus. It's by grace alone, by faith alone that we have been saved, not by works and nobody can boast. But we get to do the good works of, Lord, of the Lord because of what he's done in our life. And he's not done with you, and he's calling you to live a life for him and his purposes some of us, we would need to change the way that we're interacting in our marriage right now. And we've become selfish, and we don't even deny ourselves. We haven't died and no longer live through faith in the Son of God. We, we, we don't consider everything in this life a loss and consider Christ gain. We're out to gain and get ours. And we're going to teach our loved ones that they need to get on board with us. We got to have control or it's never going to work out. I just want to encourage you to relinquish control of your life to say, I'm going to live with no regrets. I'm going to say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done, and then I'm going to live how the Lord wants me to live. It's not easy, but it's simple and hard. And he's calling you to do it. And I'm reminded of these verses in James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In my fear, in the American first world church that in our culture and society today, we are more concerned about whether we got pumpkin spice lattes in the church cafe rather than what God is asking us and how we are meant to live. And when people look at your lives, do they see the love of Christ or not? And we often see the, the, the big ones, right? Like some of us need to change our dating habits or our lustful issues or things we're watching online or we got these addictive habits in our life. And, and those are sometimes obvious. And sometimes we miss that some of us, we live every day angry. Angry at everyone in our life. We live every day without the hope that God could use our life to actually change someone's eternity. We are hearers of his word, but we are not doers of it. Guys, I want to encourage you that you can be more than that. That this church was started with some crazy people willing to sacrifice everything. And there are people in this church today, there was a group of people here that spent hours this week actually uh, painting and doing the drywall in our kids' area, prepping it for the new kids' environment that's getting installed this week. As we finish out the the thing from last uh, uh, December, the funds you guys gave towards that, and this facility's gonna get finished. We just found out the kitchen's about completely approved, and that's gonna be installed, and all that stuff is great. But this next season for us, we have to live how God wants us to live, to not turn inward, but to turn outward. First John two seventeen: the world and its desires pass away, but the man or person who does the will of God lives forever. It's not what gains us salvation, but we only get to look for all of eternity, how God used this time we had on the planet now to do with what we've been entrusted with. And every day, it's clicking away. That time is going. And I don't know about you, But I'm spending more time on my smartphone apps, playing games, watch more Netflix than I watch my kids sometimes, (laughs) invest too much time in texting people and emailing people than I do with the people in my life. How could we live differently if we didn't have much time? We wanted to live with no regrets. We start living how God wants us to live, man. You see, I mentioned Mike and I'm going to come back to him one more time because we're doing his funeral on Monday up in Elwood, Indiana. I invite you up there, man. I believe it's at seven o'clock. The viewing's at three o'clock. You know, some funerals, you just kind of try to get through it because you you don't know really where they stood spiritually or they really weren't a a person that left the godly legacy. But I'm going to tell you on Monday, we're going to party, man, because we're going to celebrate how Mike lived his life and the legacy he left behind. And I, I saw him. They always sat right back there where the Deckers are sitting back there uh, at the services. And I saw Mike uh, about three weeks ago. And I actually went back to him and I saw he was getting really thin and and pale. And I just was like, how you doing, man? He'd been battling cancer for years. And he said, well, we've stopped treatments. This was the second time that he had battled it. And this time the treatments weren't, working." he's only in his early seventies, you know, just can't plan stuff like that. And I looked at him and, and rather than the fear of death, I saw in this man's eyes the joy of life and eternity. And to be completely frank with you, he could not wait to be with Jesus. And it happened quick as he got put on hospice and he passed away this week within just days of being uh, put on hospice. And when we go on Monday and we celebrate the legacy he left behind, we get to talk about all the people there. There are going to be a bunch of young people there that he gave back to, and ministered to, said what needed to be said, did what needed to be done. It wasn't perfect, but he actually lived how God wanted him to live. He tried it, man, and he made an impact that's going to last for eternity. What's your legacy going to be? In the last five minutes that I have, I want to share some big news with you all this weekend. Uh, We get to announce, I told you this week I get to share some of the news and then all of it will be ready for next weekend. We had planned like months ago, really years ago, about three years ago when we moved in this facility and the church began to grow rapidly, we began to talk about what would be next. And we prayed for the last three years about the potential of starting a second campus one day. And then we began to realize, you know, our conviction is multiplication and we want to see God not just have campuses and other locations with video venues, we actually want to send out planters, and so we did Multiply Indiana, and we partnered with, I believe, seven or eight church plants, just within the last two years, you guys gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's because of your generosity, we're actually going to fulfill that mission one day of reaching a million people for Christ through the wake of impact that comes out of this place, and I know it's possible, and that seems insane, because it's like a sixth of the population of Indiana, or maybe a seventh now, but I believe that God is on the move in our lifetime, and we've seen it happen. And so our plan was, well, let's start a second campus over in the Fishers and Geist area. And so we finally announced that last January, and that is happening. And we've had a plan to to launch that out, start the service here on one of our Sunday morning services and have that campus meet here, the Fisher's Guys campus, until over the next couple years, we raise funds, and we can send them out to start a campus over there, and so we brought a consultant in in early June, the same consultant we used last time, because we loved him, He, he made it spiritual, and about what God's doing, and not just about money, trying to siphon money away from people, we wanted to have spiritual growth in our church, and so he came in, And he said, guys, uh, you don't get the red light or the yellow light. You get a green light. Everything is healthy. You guys are in a great place. Here's a couple of recommendations. And the big thing was just get really specific about what it's going to be. And we began to pray about that. And as we began to pray about that, we realized, you know, the idea of he told us we could raise millions of dollars if we did that campaign. And the idea of raising millions of dollars to go start one campus in Fisher's or Geist it's, it's great, it's an awesome kingdom work, but it just didn't seem like us. It seems like kind of the trendy thing to do, and we've always been kind of scrappy, and yet we have hundreds of people over there, and we feel called to do this. So we're, we're going to do that, and none of that has changed, but as we began to pray more, we said, man, if we raise these millions of dollars, maybe instead of putting it all into one facility, what if we could plant more than one campus, and that's when things started getting nuts, (laughs) And in the last few weeks, some things happened that I could not, no one could have planned. And we intended to start all this stuff about six weeks from now. We got to start it this week. Because uh, we began to pray and somebody talked to us about potentially donating a facility in Anderson, Indiana, in a poor area of town. And we realized, man, that, that church would look really different than the church here or the church over in the Fisher's Geist area. And then somebody told us about a facility down on Mass Avenue that we could potentially utilize to reach people downtown. And we go, man, the mission of this poor community of Anderson and this mission of going down to downtown, like, that just fits us too. And and But that's not possible. And then we began to realize, man, the most important thing we need is actually if these are going to be campuses that become separate churches, it'll have the Mercy Road. This is what will be different than just a Multiply Indiana church. These will be Multiply Indiana churches, but they'll have the Mercy Road name. They'll have our DNA, they'll do outposts and huddles and rooted, and they'll one day give away 50% of the resources that come in outside the walls of the church. It will represent what we consider the Mercy Road DNA, and we believe we want to do both. We need other churches that aren't like us, and we want to extend what God has uniquely called us to. And so these campuses, within five years, would become separate churches with the name and DNA of Mercy Road, but a completely different legal entity, and we wouldn't do a video venue all the time, maybe occasionally, but mainly it'll be live teaching at those places, and I'll be rotating between the campuses, our worship leaders will be rotating between the campuses, and so what actually is important is the campus pastor in five years is going to become the lead pastor, is that we find people that understand who we are and love what we're doing and we realized we only had one person on our staff, Staff that felt called to do that and he also was equipped to do that and he actually had an experience and he preferred doing a campus to plant rather than just a separate church. And that was uh, our next gen pastor Luke Edgerton. <laughs> yeah. And he can tell you about the experience he had about a year ago down in Florida where this is freaky thing that happened God God called him to do this. And as we realized that, we also realized that for whatever reason, Luke did not want to go to Fishers because he's kind of some kind of Carmel elitist that only cares about Carmel apparently. And, uh, and his whole family grew up here and their families from here. And, and, and we began to realize, man, he feels called to go west. And so we began looking and I just, I, I would share all the th- important details next weekend. And so do not miss it. I told you these two weeks are super important. We have to get everything together six weeks ahead of when we were planning on doing it. Because a facility did become available that would be west of here. And we're going to share some of those details next weekend. But we've decided that instead of just planting one church with these millions of dollars, if we could even raise that, we would plant four campuses that would become new churches. And... No one else clapped. They all just were shocked by that at the other services. I'm going to pray for this service that something's spiritually wrong with you all. That should shock you, man. I was like, what? I was like, we didn't plan this. And uh, literally, when we drew it up on the board, and uh, Luke was at that meeting, Eric Maitland, our worship leader, goes, that's the first time we've said something that seems like what our church would do. And he goes, We've just never been the type of church that would raise millions of dollars and add a wing on to the children's, uh, you know, part of their facility. It's just not us. Nothing wrong with churches that would do something like that. But we're scrappy and we believe in a big God. And so we began to pursue that. And so I'm going to share the details with you next weekend as we start a new teaching series called Compassion. That in this next season, we have to die to self and begin to have compassion for other people And if we're going to have compassion for other people, I really want to invite you to begin to pray about it. Because when we purchased this building, everyone benefited from it. We all got a new shiny building that we got to worship in, and it's been amazing. In this next season, not all of these uh, campus to plants are going to get a building, number one. Some of them are going to be portable, But some of them will, and we're not all going to get to benefit from it. We're going to have to care more about someone else than we do about us. We're going to have to go, I know my friend who I've been worshiping with for the last several years is now going to go somewhere else, and I'm going to miss you. And I want to be friends still, and I want to do church together, and I want to hang out on the weekends, but now you're so far from me. And we have to go, that's okay, because church is not a social club to find friends at. There are lots of organizations that can help provide that. Church is about knowing that Jesus is going to return and we only have so much time on this planet to tell people who are going to die eternally about the truth of Jesus Christ. And most people in our culture, in our society, we just don't care anymore. And you know what? We made one big mistake in the history of our church. We made these seats too comfortable. We didn't buy the 18-inch seat with plastic. We went with 21 inches, baby, with soft plush seating. It's so comfortable. And some of us, we got to get up out of that seat. You've been stuck in it for so long, man, just attending church. We don't need you to attend church. We need you to be the church. And we need to start getting up and say, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to minister to people who don't know Christ because that's what he's called you to do. If you know Jesus, if you've surrendered to him, it's time to become what he's calling you to be, to live how he's asked you to live, to live your life with no regrets, to have compassion more for someone else than you do for yourself. Because it's God first, others second, and I'm third. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And at the end of it, we're going to do the compassion campaign to start four campuses that will become separate churches and we'll outline all the financial details next weekend. And it's going to seem impossible. I'm telling you right now, it is going to seem impossible. And yet God has opened doors that we never could have planned. And we need to be praying. And so tomorrow, we're not going to wait six weeks. Tomorrow, we're going to start praying and fasting. We're going to start at 5 p.m. tomorrow on Monday, we start praying and fasting. And and there's going to be a little devotional guide for the compassion, uh, uh, 40 days of praying and fasting for compassion. It's going to be posted on social media. The whole 40-day guide will be on the website and on the app. And you could be every day, wake up, read those couple of verses, and be praying for compassion and fasting. And if you've never fasted, now's your time. Fasting is just giving something up to the Lord And when you miss it, to to rely on him. And you can fast from a lot of different things, social media or TV or any of that. I want to challenge you. And I say this at all our services. I know in our culture there are a lot of eating disorders today. So don't do this if that's you. But I want to encourage everyone, if you have never tried fasting from something food-wise before, to try it. Because I really think in our culture, we don't like to give that up. And every time in the New Testament they talk about fasting, it's actually talking about giving up food. And so maybe it's just to give up desserts or maybe it's your your favorite food or maybe it's meats or maybe you can do the Daniel fast, right? You just eat nuts and berries and and vegetables and other things that some of you don't like, but you're going to learn to love it. And some of you, you're going to go really hardcore and you're going to like try fasting lonely liquids or something crazy. We're not going to dictate what that is. But we're going to ask you to start fasting. And I will tell you, if you do something very difficult, research it first. If you have any questions, email us. Don't do something you're not prepared for. Maybe if you need to get prepared, you can just do a 21-day fast. That's fine. But I want to encourage as many as possible to start tomorrow at 5 p.m., 40 days of praying and fasting for compassion in our lives. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, to Paul writes, I'm already pour, being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. I believe that my climb bub got the best seat in the house this weekend. he's got that crown of righteousness and he looks down and gets to worship in ways you and I don't even understand yet because he's in the presence of Jesus. And he hasn't returned. Not everything's perfected yet, but he gets to be with him today. And he gets to look his Savior in the eyes and none of us are going to be perfect, but I want to be able to look at him one day and he gets to tell me, you weren't perfect. Thank goodness I died on the cross for you, Josh. But you know what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't give up. And you tried to do what you could with what you had. And some of us need to start living for him. And we've known about him, and we've been comfortable in our lives as a good Christian, but we've never actually lived it out. And I want to invite you to do that with me. You may have known about Jesus for a long time, but you're actually going to start making this the priority of your life, not the secondary thing or the third thing. It's going to be number one in your life. And if that's you today, I want to invite you to just pray this with me, guys. Don't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus. He has got a better life and plan for you. Mike's not up in heaven wishing he'd have lived a less God-filled life and enjoyed the time he had because eternity is a really long time and he gets to celebrate all the great legacy he left with his life. We pray with me. God, there are some of us in the room right now that we need to surrender everything in our life to you. Not just some things, not just part of it, everything. And if that's you, you know who you are. There is no shame or guilt. There is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He welcomes you home with loving arms like a father who's missed his son. And you may be that prodigal daughter or that prodigal son running home to your good heavenly father. You may be attending online for different parts of the world. And you're going to say, I'm going to come home today. I'm going to surrender everything in my life. I'm going to live with no regrets. I'm going to leave a God-sized legacy. Pray this with me. God, I confess that I am not perfect Forgive me for my wrongdoing. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And so I surrender everything in my life to you. May you make me a living sacrifice in this world to share the good news of you, Jesus, and to help those people in need. I give you everything. God, we love you. We celebrate you in this church. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said.